As mentioned, our scripture reading comes from the letter of Paul to Philemon, and we will be reading the whole letter, the whole chapter, beginning at verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may, be, may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, servant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let us now ask for his blessing. Our gracious Lord, we pray that you would make us into those who pursue peace and love and truth for the sake of their Lord Jesus and ultimately for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It is a pleasure and a privilege to be with you this morning, and it is my joy to bring you God's Word from Paul's letter to Philemon. 
Now, the text before us this morning is written by Paul the Apostle. Written to a man named Philemon, a wealthy man in Colossae, a man in whose house the church gathered for worship. Paul is writing this letter about uh, around about 60 AD. He's writing it most likely from Rome and is writing it as the one in prison. Now Philemon was, again, most likely a convert under Paul's own ministry in Ephesus, not too far from Colossae. And Paul is writing this letter to Philemon about a third man, a man named Onesimus. Now, Onesimus was a runaway bondservant, or to use simpler language, a house slave of Philemon. We don't know much about uh, his endeavor for freedom, but what we know that he, in God's good providence, came under the care of Paul... And under Paul's oversight, became a follower, a fellow follower of Jesus Christ. And now, the situation is such that Paul is sending Tychicus and with him Onesimus, two fellow followers of Jesus, back to Colossae to return, to bring this letter back to Philemon. And Onesimus is one of those two people who are bringing this letter back. Paul desires to provide for an opportunity of, for reconciliation between two brothers, Onesimus and Philemon. And so as we look at this letter, we will look at it through the theme of Christian fellowship and especially, especially through the lens of restoration of that fellowship. As we confess, confess our sins this morning, that reminds us that though we are saved by grace, we are still wrestling with the sin of our flesh. And large part of that sin is that we get in conflict with one another. As believers, as people of the same household of God, we still get hurt by one another and we hurt each other. So how do we go about, how do we reconcile, how do we pursue peace, and how do we restore unity in the body that's been fractured? And so today we look at that and we pursue the answer to that question as we find elements necessary to reconciliation in this letter. Three elements found in the three men involved making up for our three points. Repentance, forgiveness, and mediation. Repentance, forgiveness, and mediation. First, repentance. Now, Paul in verse 18 says, If he, that is Onesimus, has wronged you, Philemon, at all, 
or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Now, this is not saying that maybe Onesimus did do some wrong, maybe he didn't. This is Paul's polite way of saying, whatever damage he's done, I will repay. In the eyes of the people of that time, Onesimus was in the wrong. Onesimus broke his social, social contract between him and his master. And Onesimus is the one to whom we look to learn about what true God-honoring biblical repentance looks like. When we think of repentance, I believe our words betray us. We, we like to say that we feel sorry. We might say, well, apologize with our words. And yet, oftentimes, our hearts do not follow. And while the Bible does not reject or negate the need for confessing our sins with our mouths, feeling sorrowful for what we did, the Bible's view of repentance is, goes further than that and is deeply practical. And one way that that practical nature comes through in our text is through Onesimus' willingness to face the consequences of his actions, whatever the cost. Now, we might try to imagine Onesimus coming to Paul and saying something like this. Paul, I've confessed my sin before the Lord. You know I am deeply sorrowful for my actions. I've been saved by God's grace. I can even write to Philemon asking for his forgiveness. But what good would it be for me to travel all the way from Rome to Colossae? When I can serve you and the gospel here, what good would it do for me to go all the way back not knowing what awaits and what consequences I will face and what Philemon will want to do and how he will respond? What good would that do? That's a perfectly natural and understandable argument, and yet we don't see that in this letter. What we see, rather, is that Paul is sending the very man, Onesimus, the offender, to face the one offended, and to bring them, him then this letter and use that for reconciliation. And we might say, well, Paul might have really strongly persuaded Onesimus to go back, this might not be Onesimus' doing, but which way we, we look at it, Onesimus' willingness had to be involved. Otherwise, you know, he, he might run away. He's done it once. Who's keeping him, him from doing it again? And yet we see not, none of that. We see rather a man who's willing to face the consequences of his offense at a very great cost. You see, we don't, in our cultural context, realize this, but in the eyes of that culture, Onesimus went from being useless, as Paul mentions, to being worthless, as someone who has run away, who has broken 
the social con uh, contract between him and his master. And yet he's willing to face the consequences of his actions. We have a similar example in the prodigal son. In Jesus' parable in Luke 25. Where he says, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The same idea, the same attitude of the heart. And yet as we think of this imagery of repentance, what we are faced is our unwillingness to do just the same. We are much more comfortable to say we're sorry, to say that we feel sorry, and yet not to live out the consequences of those words, to live out in accordance with what our mouth confesses. And that's largely because oftentimes a lot is at stake. Should we pursue practically our repentance? A lot oftentimes is a stake when we for us to confess what is hidden into the open. It might cost our, us our relationships. It might cost our image before others. It might cost us our status, our position, our well-being, whatever it may be. It is costly to pursue true repentance the way that Onesimus is doing before us. You see, the, the reason he's able to overcome this, this obstacle, we find that reason in verse 11. Formerly, Paul says, he, Onesimus, was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Onesimus most likely was not the best at his work. He was probably and likely a, a, a sloppy uh, servant. But useless means more than that. He was uh, uh, in opposition to God. He was useless to the work of the kingdom. But now, Paul says, as he became a Christian, he is useless to you and to me. There has been a transformation and transformation that enables Onesimus to overcome the fear of the consequences of his repentance. So let me ask you this morning, do you then repent only with your lips? Do you only satisfy yourself with the feeling of remorse? Or do you pursue repentance even if it costs you dearly? If conflict is resolved, that kind of repentance is absolutely necessary. And without it, sin and conflict, although remedied on the surface, will perpetuate. Of course, if there's repentance, there's by necessity another element, forgiveness. If there's the one who's repenting, then there should be one who's offended and therefore is called to forgive. And this brings us to our second point, that of forgiveness. And now we 
direct our attention to Philemon. Now, again, when we think of forgiveness, we can use the same words that we tend to forgive with our lips, saying it, but not really, but still keeping grudge and bitterness in our hearts. And we can say that we do feelings forgiveness or essentially just don't see the point. We say, well, it's fine. It's fine. It's no big deal. We interpret that sin through the way we feel about it. We say, oh, it doesn't look like an offense to me, and, you know, it's fine. Don't worry about it. You do. Both miss the point. And again, we see in our text that true Christian repentance is much more. It goes further. To, I'm sorry, forgiveness, not repentance. To forgive, it's not merely to forget or excuse someone, let them off the hook. There's more. And if we are to get what it means to forgive, we have to uh, see two elements that are present in this text. Paul is calling, pleading, arguing with Philemon, seeking his forgiveness to Onesimus, And here's what we see first, that to really forgive, we need to see other Christians the way that God sees them. We need to see other Christians through heavenly perspective. And this is what Paul models before our eyes this morning. He looks at Onesimus, the way he describes Onesimus, the way he identifies him is otherworldly and stands in sharp contrast to how Onesimus is seen by the culture of the time. First, we notice in uh, our text, especially in verses 8 through 16, the very affectionate language with which Paul speaks of Onesimus. And that's culminated in the words where he says, I'm sending him back, sending my very heart. That's in verse 12. And here Paul, with that word heart, is not merely saying, well, I feel very close to this man. No, he's he's literally saying, I'm sending back my, my intestines, which is a funny way to our ears to say that I'm so closely identified. I care so deeply for this person as though he would be my own bone and blood. We also notice other ways in which Paul speaks with love and tenderness and care of Onesimus. And that's, as I said, stands, that stands in contrast to that worldly perspective that this is a runaway slave deserving severe punishment and nothing more. And yet Paul, Paul calls Philemon to treat him not as a bondservant, but more as a bondservant, he says, as a beloved brother. So what is it that Paul is asking Philemon? Well, Paul is saying in verse 17, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. And Paul to Philemon, we could say, was a gift of God. Paul was God's instrument to transform Philemon from an unbeliever into a follower of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying, what I am to you, see Onesimus the same way. Have that attitude towards him. 
actively choosing to set aside his wrongdoing and actually going an extra mile in sending him back to continue his service alongside Paul. We have to have the heavenly perspective towards others, especially those with whom we are in disagreement and conflict. Secondly, and even more importantly, we ought to remember where we've come. We ought to remember our own story and the price that's been paid for us. Paul, in verse 19, writes, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. He brings something up, not to point that out for its own sake, but to remind Philemon that though wealthy and influential in the world, in God's eyes, he too once was no better than a runaway slave, an offender who deserves a punishment. Why would Paul bring that up? Because that helps us, especially in this advantageous position when our forgiveness is being sought. It helps us to confront and avoid our pride and to maintain humility, remembering that we are no better just because we get to forgive this person and they're the ones who've offended us. We get to remember that we are actually ourselves offenders who've been shown much more grace and forgiveness than the one offending us. You see, forgiveness is costly. And so if we are to forgive, we must remember the cost of our own forgiveness. There's no way around it. And this is especially important and ultimately important for our own well-being, our own standing with God. And that comes through particularly in situations when the offender is not seeking forgiveness. Or you're not able to forgive, to extend forgiveness to the one who offended you, and yet it's eating you inside, and, that, and yet you need resolution to that. Realizing what has been done for you, realizing where you've come from, allows you to resolve this with God and to get to that point when you're ready to extend forgiveness. When and if it will be asked for. But you've set it right with God. You see, if we are to be peacemakers, there's a way we see others and a way we see ourselves. Without this, forgiveness is superficial Either we speak it and yet hold grudges, or we forget it and ignore the offense, which might not feel big for it to us, but is still an offense against God. But finally, then, we come to our third point, which is mediation. Mediation, and now we get to the heart of it, and we get to the heart of the gospel. Now, a mediator is someone, a person who attempts to make people involved in a conflict to come to an agreement. And it doesn't take an intellectual genius to, to see that Paul 
is trying to build a bridge, that Paul is serving as a mediator between two brothers, two people believing in the same God. Paul is serving as the mediator. And if you remember Jesus' famous words in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 9, he says something. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Like father, like son. And so what Paul is doing in Philemon, in this letter to Philemon, he is being the son of his heavenly father. Now, mediation is necessary. You might sit there and think, well... I can think of a number of occasions when two parties were involved in a conflict and they were able to resolve it without a third party. So is mediation really necessary? Isn't Christ himself calling us first to go to our brother or sister and to reconcile with them one-on-one before we go to anyone else? That's correct. And yet, what Paul is um, Illustrating for us is a deeper principle. And it is a deeper reality that needs to be present, whether there's three parties, two parties, whether uh, both people in the conflict or groups in the conflict have offended and were offended. Conflicts Conflicts are complicated. Whatever the case, mediation is necessary. We there there needs to be a certain understanding a certain grasp of what's been done in order for the conflict to be resolved. And so let us briefly observe and break down what Paul is doing here. First, three things, really. Uh, First, Paul identifies with the offender. We've already seen this, but especially in uh, uh, verse 20, where he says, Yes, brother... Addressing Philemon, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. There goes that word again, heart. Paul is seeking benefit and he's playing on words. He's saying, Philemon, I want you to be benef- uh, useful. I want you to be profitable. That same word um, is found in the name Onesimus. Onesimus means profitable. So Philemon is saying, I want you to, I want profit from you. I want you to refresh my heart in Christ. Again, that identification with Onesimus, that deep connection. He is as though my very own self. How you treat him is how you treat me. Paul is identifying with the offender. Secondly, Paul bears the debt of the offender. We've seen this already. Verse 18. If he, that is Onesimus, wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. It is as though Paul takes the pen from the amenuensis, the one who's writing his words. He takes the pen into his own hands and writes these words with his own hand, saying, I will repay it. The debt, if there's anything that's standing between you and forgiving Onesimus, I will repay it. You see, restitution was to be made, but Onesimus was in no position to do it. 
And so he needed someone else, like Paul, to be his guarantor on his behalf. Thirdly now, as Paul identifies with the offender, he bears the debt of the offender. He also is making intercession for the offender. Verse 19, we've, we saw this already. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Paul is bringing something up. as something that's forceful, something that's timely yet gentle, the reality that he is in a position to ask this of Philemon. Earlier, earlier in the letter, in verse 8, Paul also said, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal, appeal to you. Commanding, he's... He, he's he could bring up his apostolic authority to command this to Philemon. Yet he chooses not to do it. But the fact is that Paul is speaking with authority, understanding his position, and using very gently, but using that position to intercede for the offender. Now, as I said, to restore Christian fellowship, mediation is necessary. And to be able to become peacemakers and to, to, to follow Paul in his footsteps, we need to understand what he's doing and why he's doing. And at this point, I would like to uh, turn to the reading we heard earlier today from Isaiah 53, verse 12. This is a chapter where uh, the prophet Isaiah, many centuries ago, is prophesying of the coming Messiah, describing him as a suffering servant. A prophecy that has been fulfilled since in Jesus Christ. And this is what Isaiah writes of him at the very end of the chapter. This is a, a painful chapter, but it ends on a very high and hopeful note. Isaiah writes, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and ye shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore, yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. You see what's happening, what Paul is doing. Paul is doing is he's imitating Christ, he's imitating the Messiah. He's living out his words said elsewhere where he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What do we see in this, in, in, the, in this verse? We see that this Messiah, this suffering servant, pours out his soul to death. We see that he identifies with the offender saying he was numbered with the transgressors. We see that he bears their debt. He bore the sin of many. We see him also making intercession for the transgressors, as though Jesus Christ is saying, Father, to use Paul's word, if you consider me your partner in this eternal divine partnership, treat them as you would treat me. And so what Paul is doing, he's imitating Christ. And he's imitating Christ for this reason that he knows. He knows that the cosmic conflict between him, a sinner, 
a rebel, a runaway servant, and the almighty judge, the almighty righteous God. That cosmic conflict has been resolved in Jesus Christ. Until we see that ourselves, until we breathe and live that reality out, there is no way that we could be peacemakers as we are called to be. Whether we are the offender, whether we are the offense, whether we're just coming alongside to help other brothers and sisters to, to sort out their disagreements. If we are able to resolve earthly conflicts, we need to have the ultimate, the cosmic conflict resolved. And that resolution must be the driving force in our own conflict resolution. We've seen that practical repentance is costly. So what could push us? What could motivate us to step over the barrier of the cost that we have to pay? to confess our sin and to pursue forgiveness, whatever the price. What could motivate us for that? It is what Jesus did on the cross, because on the cross, our greatest fear and our greatest love became one. On the cross, Jesus made the one power in the universe whose opinion matters our friend and our Heavenly Father. And so if He is behind us, if He is for us, that liberates us, realizing that we don't need to fear anything else, and that His opinion is the only one that matters, and that with Him behind us and for us and by our side, we can go and pursue the forgiveness of those we offended, and to pay and to, to, to face the consequences, whatever may come. It is also true about uh, forgiveness. You know how painful it can be forgive if you, if you were, have truly been offended. If you have truly been hurt by someone, you know how difficult it is to forgive. How can we forgive truly, not only with our words, but with our very hearts? How can we treat them as children of the living God? when they seek forgiveness. It is by understanding the offense of the cross. Jesus Christ had to become the offender against His Holy Father, something that in that relationship is the greatest insult and an unimaginable thing, so that our offenses could be pardoned. The weight of that love, the weight of that glorious mercy should so press our shoulders in a kind and gentle and loving way, the way, the way that Paul is pursuing Philemon, not scolding him, but pointing him back to the reality from which he himself has been saved. Selfless, active forgiveness is only possible when we understand that extent to which we ourselves have been forgiven. And then, finally, how are we to be those mediators but by seeing 
our mediator, by realizing that this Jesus Christ has not only died on the cross, but is interceding every single moment, every single day, every single hour, every single week, always for us. Justly and rightly bringing up His righteousness, His sacrifice on our behalf. If we've tasted that peace with God, how can we not want that peace for others? How can we not want to see the community that we are part of flourish in unity? That is not easy, but that is what we are called to. And by God's grace, grace can pursue as we imitate Paul, as he imitates Christ himself. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, you see our hearts. You see how easy for us it is to take offense. You see how easy for us it is to build up grudge against someone. You see how easy for us it is to excuse ourselves without truly seeking forgiveness. You see how easy it is for us to avoid peacemaking because it's costly. It will cost us our time, our energy. It will cost us unnecessary attention. It will cost us many things. And so you see how unwilling we are to be that which you called us to be. And so while we confess those things, we confess them not in despair, but with heavenly hope, trusting that through our Lord Jesus Christ, being reconciled to you, we can to be your partners, your instruments in reconciliation of others and ours with others. And so we pray today that the Spirit would work in us to that end, that we would glorify you as your children, the children of a peacemaking God. We pray this for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen.